All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. We're finishing up this series, The I Am. And so over the last few weeks, we've been studying I Am. And I know this is uh, maybe a little different series than maybe what we've done around here. It's not marriage or kids or whatever. But we're digging into who Jesus is and um, the characteristics and qualities of Jesus and how we can kind of get to know him a little bit better as he describes himself. And so the very first week when we talked about The I Am, he described himself as The I Am which was took us back to the encounter that Moses had with God in the burning bush. And so Moses said, who am I to tell the people who I am? And uh, God said, tell them that I am, that I am sent you. And so, um, so much wrapped up in that. We don't, 30 minutes is not enough. So one day we'll have a 12-hour class and we'll talk about that, okay? Um, you can do some of that on your own, but... Who God is, is this ever-present, never-leaving, always with us? I mean, there's just so much wrapped up into that phrase. And Jesus says, I am the I am. And so that sets the foundation in John. And so John, again, is one of the apostles. He's the one that lived the longest. We believe that, that he lived to be up into his 90s. And that um, church tradition and church history tells us that even into his 90s that he was still preaching and that he couldn't even walk. And they would bring him up on a stretcher and they would lay him on a stretcher and he would preach from the stretcher to his congregation. Um, and so in Ephesus. And so um, that's commitment, isn't it? And so he was looking back and thinking back to these moments. And so some of the statements that Jesus made. And so there's, um, there's seven statements that Jesus says, I am, not including this one. So this would make it eight statements. And so we're going to do a little pop quiz. So if you've been here over the last six, seven weeks, we've been talking about this. And so I'm going to see if you remember any of the I am statements. All of you are already nervous because you're thinking, is he going to call my name and ask me? I'm not going to call your name. Okay. So if you know the answer, you shout it out. And if you get it wrong, then we'll, we'll little, take a little tab in the back. The ushers will take a tab and they'll ask for extra dollars when you leave. Okay. Some of you are really nervous now, okay, because you're like, I don't have enough lunch money then probably. All right, so here we go. You ready? You, you made a call on you, Mr. Bill? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There you go. That was last week. Good deal. So uh, Mr. Mike taught on that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that is a statement of exclusivity. And this is a problem. If, if we are outside of Christian circles, this is a problem with Christianity, is that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. And that is a, a claim of exclusivity. And that if you don't um, try to, if any other way to have a relationship with God is not going to work. Okay? And so that's, that's what the world, when they look at Christians, they say to us, you are exclusive. Okay? And so we would say, yes, in that part right there, we are exclusive, that you, to have a relationship with God, Jesus is the only way. If, if we were to begin to open it up to other, other avenues, then we wouldn't be the church. We'd become a country club, and then we would start charging dues, and your importance, your value would be based upon how much you, you give to the place. And so we are a church. Then also the very first one that we talked about was, I am the bread of life. Y'all remember that? And so to be bread, um, everywhere else around the world, they go get bread how often? Daily. Give me my daily bread, right? And so again, Jesus is reminding the people, listen, that he is for daily sustenance, that he is for everyone, that bread, there's however much you make, no matter your social status, no matter your education or whatever, everyone eats bread and you can go get bread and it's for daily sustenance. I am the bread of life. And then we learn that little song, this little, right? And so I am the 
light of the world, okay? And again, we don't understand this as well because we walk into rooms and we just flip the switch and it happens. But it's this idea of us is that Jesus is the source of light, that through the Holy Spirit, that as we come into relationship with him, that this light emanates and, and grows on and even says, hey, don't hide your light under a bushel, okay? Which is a kind of a, uh, we, we call those things in the kitchen, bowls. Yeah, there you go. I'm not, obviously not a chef, yeah? And so you hide it under a bowl, right? It would, make, it would, would not make sense. So Jesus, again, is giving us ludicrous pictures of saying, listen, why would you light a candle and then cover it up? You wouldn't. So why, as followers of Jesus, would we come to church and say, hey, I want you to make more of me, and then on Monday, not proclaim it? And he says, it's ludicrous. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the door. And again, that's a claim of exclusivity, that the only way to enter into the, the sheep pen, okay? The only way to enter into the place of community with Jesus and community with our followers is through the door alone, door alone. And he's the one that sleeps, literally stands in the gap, stands in the door. And only those that he knows, only those that know his voice can enter in. And he also talks about being the good shepherd. And that, that why, that's why Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus says to us, come, follow me. Because the good shepherd goes before his sheep and has already checked out the path. He already knows that he's going to be walking through the valley of the shadow of darkness. He knows where the cliffs and the, the uh, places of danger are. But he also knows that you've got to walk through places of danger, places that may seem unsafe for you. But he's watching us and guiding us and directing us so he can take us to the best grass, the best pasture, the best water. And that we can go and we can rest in those pastures. And that that's what a good shepherd does. He comes, he says, come follow me. He doesn't drive us forward, but he says, come to the places where I've experienced and know what I'm going to lead you that way. Then also he's, um, if we were to continue on, we would be talking about I am the resurrection and the life. And as we sung today, that that resurrection of life is that there's a power of resurrection for us, is that we say yes to Jesus. And there's something that takes place when we encounter and say yes to Jesus, that the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit takes residence with inside of us, and that there's no longer a temple in Israel because we are the living temple of God. And so that the Holy Spirit resides with inside of us and is the holy temple. Whenever we come into this place, God is residing within us. And so when we leave this place, God doesn't still reside here because you've gone. Okay? That you here, here is worship. So when you go to work on Monday, that is actually a place of worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit goes with you. And so for some of us, this is a radical idea and would transform the way that we work and engage in relationships with people if we understand that this is a holy temple and that everywhere we go and everything we do is an act of worship. Think about this past week, okay, for us and those moments where we do something and we're like, whoa, that's not worship. That's not God giving God glory, right? And so that idea. And so today, as we've kind of wrapped this up, we're going to be looking at Jesus is the vine. The true vine. And so some, some imagery that he's going to be drawing for us. And so the true vine. And then he'll also talk about God the Father. God the Father is the gardener. So if you're taking notes, you can fill those things in. So I won't go back and talk about them probably. So Jesus is the true vine. God the Father is the gardener. And then there's branches. And the branches are us as, as people, as humans. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. And we're going to dig in here for a little bit. Also, if you make notes, you want to, you can write in your Bibles, and we'll, I'll tell you when you can, some good places to write and take notes for later on. John chapter 15, 
starting at verse 1. I, Jesus, am the true, authentic, genuine vine. Now, here, here's the deal. One of the things is that, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, whenever Jesus would teach, it wouldn't necessarily always be in a setting like this where you're in a church and you get up and he didn't have PowerPoint and all those kind of things. And so a lot of times when Jesus is teaching, he's actually using the setting around him. So when he talked about the sowers and the seeds, there was probably, you know, a, a farmer behind him and he's throwing seeds. And so they're literally looking at behind him this, this image of what's taking place. And so this is a similar type deal. So Jesus and his disciples have just been in the upper room. They've just taken the Passover, the Last Supper. And so they're walking out of the house. And so they're literally, they're walking by the temple. And one of the things at the entrance of the temple is this huge vine that was symbolic of the nation of Israel. Okay, And so all of the coins, all of the money, everything that the symbol of the nation of Israel was the vine. Okay, And so that's what the nation of Israel had been taught. And that the vine and grapes is actually a source of joy. All throughout the Old Testament, wine is, uh, wines and grapes are a source of joy. And so whenever you see that in the Old Testament, they're talking about joy. And so here Jesus is walking out of the Last Supper. They've had wine. They've had the crackers. They've had all this. They're walking together. Judas has already left because he's on his way to betray Jesus. Again, we're heading into the last week, all right, of Jesus's life. And so Judas is about doing his thing. And here Jesus takes the other 11. They enter down. They're coming down out of the upper room. They're going and they're walking together along the street. They're walking by the temple and they see this big thing, a big vine that would have been gold-leafed and all that. And they're looking at it. And Jesus just kind of, I just imagine Jesus kind of stopping for a second And he kind of just looks at it, and he just kind of points, and he says, I'm the true, authentic vine. So you can imagine his disciples going, what? What are you talking about? And so here's that imagery for you. So imagine Jesus and his disciples walking along together with this discussion happen. I'm the true, authentic, genuine vine, and my father is the gardener. In other words, he's the caretaker. Now, I don't know about you, but listen, if you're going to give our family a gift, do not give us a plant. Because we will kill it. I'm not kidding you. We, we, we've tried to grow plants. We've tried to do stuff. As a matter of fact, our newest thing is we're trying to do an herb garden. The stuff has not even been up a week and it's already dying. Okay? So if any of you know, y'all can come do Rescue 911, our herb garden. You come do it. But listen, we don't do it. And so I've tried. I've tried all this different stuff. I've YouTube stuff. We try. I mean, we got plant. We have had plants that everyone says these plants do not die, and at our house they die. Okay, that's how bad we are. And so we are not gardeners. So I can imagine what it takes. And so one of my journeys, I've been in um, in Latvia, and we were able to go to a castle. I mean, like an old seven, eight hundred year old, almost a thousand year old castle. So you can imagine the enormity of this place and just the majesty of this place. And it's everything a little girl dreams of when she thinks of she's the princess or the queen and this is what it's going to be like in the horse carriage. I mean, it's that whole scene with the fountain in front and all those kind of things. And so, and on the backside of the castle, guess what there is? A garden. And, and someone who can't grow anything looks at a garden and I'm like just amazed. All right, because they take great care and detail and they know all the little nuances and they know what plants can go here and how the different levels and what type of, you know, fertilizer you need here, when you need to fertilize, what do you different do? And I mean, they can make a 
bush do amazing things. Like it could turn into like Mickey Mouse or a horse or whatever. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, they can just do crazy stuff. When I try to trim thus, it just dies. I mean, I think, okay, cool. It looks like Mickey Mouse. The next day, it's a dead mouse. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not good. And so these, and so I look out over that and I think of the great amount of work and care and time and energy that it takes to garden like that. And how much pride that the gardener must take as they look out and go, wow. And as people walk through the garden that, again, like me, that have no idea of the amount of energy and time that it takes, just knowing it's more time than I can put, and, and thinking, this is beautiful. And so imagine God as the gardener, the amount of time and energy and everything it takes for him to garden your life. And that us, for us, as a he, people... Look at us, and they're saying, hey, those are followers of Jesus, that the gardener is doing the work to answer the prayer that we would look more like Jesus tomorrow than today. So that means it's going to take great care. It's going to take great patience. It's going to take more work than we could ever imagine. Because we live in a microwave society, don't we? Everything is instant. And if it doesn't happen within 30 minutes, we are frustrated and we want to move on to something else. It's broke. If we don't get it in 30 minutes, it's broke. And so we, we just live in that society. And listen, for most of us, that is how... Things get thrown away. That's why we throw stuff away. Things get wasted because we're not patient enough. And we need to slow down and to grow in the process for us. So here we are. I am the true, genuine vine, and my Father is the perfect, complete gardener. He does two things. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. In other words, as the gardener goes around and he looks and he sees that the vine's growing, he's checking it out, okay? And again, now here's one of the things, too, about a vine is whenever you plant a vine, it takes at least three years before it begins to bear fruit, all right? And so for most of us, we're going to throw out the vine pretty quick. If it's not growing by spring, we're done with it, right? And so you can imagine that. And so, again, in Thailand, we worked with a group that they had come to know Christ. And as a part of coming to know Christ, one of the things that we talked to them about was, hey, listen, one of the cool things that Jesus is going to talk to you, you're going to learn about Jesus, is Jesus doesn't want you to probably grow and sell opium. Okay? And so that's the main crop that these people were, were growing. And so we were like, hey, we want to help you grow something that you're going to make a significant amount of money and you're going to grow as a culture and a society. Because the, the, the little villages, whenever they would grow opium, most of the men were dead by the age of 30. That's a problem. Your culture is going to end pretty quickly, right? And so they're growing opium, and they're addicted to opium. So these guys are dying, and so these are leaving women and kids and orphans, and they're trying to make it. And so they're continuing this whole process of growing more opium, and it's just feeding the whole thing. And so we're like, listen, you've come to know Christ. Christ is life-giving. One of the things that he would say, hey, let's do away with opium. Let's grow tea and coffee. But to grow tea and coffee, it takes several years for that to grow up, to process, to be that place. And so... The, the villages that got impatient sla literally slashed and burned the tea and coffee bushes and began to grow opium. 
and the other ones that stayed with it after three or four years began to grow and began to see the effects of the of life-giving stuff, that the men became unaddicted, that their, their villages began to change, and it was life-giving, and people were, were having fun. And just, just to, you can imagine the radical change in that community. And then the other communities that went back to opium, they began to see, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we made a mistake. We went back to what's easy than to what we stayed the course, and if we'd stayed the course, our, our heritage, our lineage would be so different now. And so they actually they went back, and these villages over here said, listen, we'll help you. If you want to turn course, it's not too bad, too late to turn course. Slash and burn the opium. We'll help you replant, and we'll actually subsidize you until you get back on your feet. It takes patience for the vine to grow. The gardener is going to do one. He's going to cut off the branches that bear no fruit because they're taking life they're from those from the vine. It's not producing, so they're going to get rid of it. The second thing that the gardener does, the branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. So the ones that don't bear fruit, he cuts off. But the ones that are bearing some fruit, he prunes it. Listen, so that there will be even more fruit. Verse 3. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4. This is one of those things here. So if you have your pens and you like to write in your Bibles, or even if you don't, make a little note. This word, remain. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Over the next few verses, that word remain is going to stay in there. And this, the word remain is, is this powerful, powerful word for us. It's, it's this idea of, listen, that we enter into a covenant relationship with God. And so in that covenant relationship, there's no breaking of that covenant. God says to us, if you come to me and you say you, you don't want to be in a relationship with me again, that, then you can try to do that, but it's not going to happen. And so you're going to remain in me is this idea of God clinging to us and that he's so powerful and he's so strong that even if we want to get away, that he's going to hold on to us. But what the whole idea is, is that when life gets super, super crazy and so difficult that we think we can't do it anymore, Jesus says, remain in me. I will cling to you and hold on to you so that you can rest on the edge of a cliff. Never have you seen these extreme guys that they hang on the edge of a cliff and they're, they're climbing and they're doing all this stuff and then they've got their little hammocks like 45,000 feet up in the air and they're just kind of hanging there and all of us are like, there's no way I would even climb that high, much less sleep there. Like how can you rest there? It's because you, you've trusted in the equipment. You know that the equipment is not going to fail. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. Rest in me, remain in me, even in the most difficult places, even what may seem like the most treacherous places, just trust in me because I have got you. You will not fall, you will not go anywhere because I have got you. Just rest here. Now, there will be a moment where you have to get out and continue to climb, but even then, I've got you. You're clipped in, belay on. Keep climbing, remain and rest in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Now, this is, again, this, this is ludicrous. How many of you have kids, took a branch, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go plant an apple tree because you just, like, cut off a little thing, and you go and you just kind of plant it in the yard, and you hope within a few days or a few weeks that you're going to have apples on your apple tree. Did any of you all ever do that? Am I only crazy? Yeah, some of these are like, yes, and all the kids are like, no, that's crazy. It is. It's ludicrous. But we would do that. We would cut off a little branch and then go plant it and go hope, hey, hope. Because if it worked, all of us as adults, we would take dollar bills and go plant dollar bills and just sit and wait, right? So we, we understand that, it, that there's this ludicrous idea. But here, Jesus, this is what he does. He's saying, listen, 
How can you imagine doing life apart from me? You say that you're followers of Jesus. But so many times by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're living life apart from me, and you wonder why you're struggling. You're wondering why you're dry. You're wondering why you don't sense that I'm with you. You wonder why. And it's because so many times Sunday happens and we do Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday come and we, we kind of cut our own selves off and try to do life in our own power and our own strength. And it's ludicrous. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit that unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, maybe this is a better illustration for some of the young folk, is that what if I brought in a lamp and I set it right here, and some of you, I said, hey, clap, because we got the clapper, and you can clap, and the light would come on. Would it work? No power. Not plugged in. Same idea. We've got to be plugged into the source for there to be life-giving source for you. Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, how many times have we said remain? A lot. Right? So if you cling to me, if you hold on to me, there's this relationship, a closeness. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory. In other words, all of the pruning, all of the cleaning, all of the, the fruit bearing is for the Father's glory. So that when someone looks at us that proclaim the name of Jesus, they look at us and they go, wow, they look a little bit more like Jesus, which then God gets the glory for that. Because we're looking a little bit more like him. This is to my God, Father's glory. That you bear how much fruit? Much. Not just a little bit, not just a few, but much. A whole lot of fruit. Showing yourselves to be disciples. So turn over to Galatians chapter 5 real quick. little Bible drill for some of you. Galatians chapter 5. Gonna eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Okay? Gonna eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, after First and Second Corinthians. Galatians chapter 5. Great passage. Now, what do we say? It takes patience to grow fruit, doesn't it? It takes patience. So in Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes the fruit that as followers of Jesus we're supposed to be growing. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, okay, agape love, self-sacrificing love, joy, all right, a joy that has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with our foundation built upon Him, that our life could be going to stink around us, but because our life is built upon Jesus, we can deal with all the other things because we're focused on him. That kind of a joy. Peace, a peace that passes all understanding, right? People are looking at us and we have peace. Why? Because our joy is, our foundation is in Jesus, that we have a peace built upon him, not upon our circumstances, that we have patience, that we have kindness, that we have goodness, that we have gentleness, that we have self-control. All of these things take time to develop and to grow and to be pruned. Because, listen, I, I bet some of you, especially guys, that if we were to say, hey, how many of you at some point dealt with anger? 
And when we talk about dealing with anger, so many times for guys, it's like dynamite. Like the fuse is like this. One little thing goes wrong and boom. There's not a long fuse, which is whatever, whenever God talks about his long suffering, his long patience. It's this idea of this um, really long fuse, like in the old cartoons, the Warner Brothers cartoons, where there's this like, it seems like for days, kind of a, a you know, fuse. But this quick fuse is anger, dynamite, explosion type of anger. But as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, there's a longer suffering. Why? Because we understand grace. We understand how much God puts up with us. The more that we spend time with God, the more we realize that, hey, whoa, the things that used to anger me, the things that used to frustrate me, the things that used to, I used to get caught up on and focus on really are no, of no eternal significance. So why am I worried about? Why am I getting angry about? Why am I giving attention to? Why am I giving time to things that have no eternal significance and losing my cool and losing my character and integrity and all this because people are watching and seeing and you're exploding all over the place. And usually whenever we explode, it's at those at greatest expense, which is our family. Because we feel more comfortable in the house exploding and vomiting our stuff there. So the longer that we are in Christ, the longer that we remain in him, the longer that we allow him to prune and that he can bear much fruit, not just a little bit of fruit, not just baby Christians. We move on from milk to meat. We want the better stuff. And so the longer that he prunes and works on us and and grows us, the ability, the longer the fuse becomes. And so the longer the fuse becomes, the more and more and more we look at Christ. The, the self-control, the self-discipline to continue to grow, to do the things that seemingly no one else is doing, right? Why do the great athletes become great athletes? Because they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and do the work that no one else is doing. It's self-discipline. It's self-control to get to that place because they have a goal and a place to bear much fruit. And for us as disciples of Jesus, there is no instamatic look like Jesus. And I'm sorry if the church has sold you that. It's not going to happen. It's day in, day out. It may be when you reach for the thorn to smell the beautiful thing that you may get pricked by the thorn. It may hurt. But even in the midst of that, you still enjoy the, the bounty of the smell of the rose, even though it may hurt a little bit. And for us as followers of Jesus to listen, the fruit God wants to produce in our life is much fruit. Do not give up the journey. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's not going to be a short journey. It's a long journey. And you're going to be walking through places that you never thought you would walk, that you could look around and you're like, this is not a safe place. And God says, listen, quit paying attention to those things. Focus upon me and walk in me. I will discipline you. I will do the things I need to do to get you to the good grass so you can lay down and you can rest. And it's going to take us a while to get there, but it's going to be worth it. Because our prayer is less of me and more of Jesus. And there are no quick diets. There are no instant mashed potatoes that are going to grow the spirit in you. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take pain. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take walking through things that you never thought that you could possibly walk through. And you're right, you couldn't do it on your own, but he can walk with you and before you and behind you in the midst of it. Because he's the good shepherd. He's the vine. The meticulous amount of work that a gardener takes 
for, to grow the fruit and to produce the fruit that he wants. He knows exactly when it should be bearing fruit in certain seasons. And for us as well, there's certain seasons of life that we need to be bearing certain fruit, and it takes time and energy and, and detail, attention to detail to get us to that place in that moment because God is God and he knows what's coming ahead of us. He's preparing us for what's ahead. Instead of sometimes saying us why God, saying what God is ahead, what are you going to walk us through? What is this pruning all about that you're about to walk us through for us? I am the vine. You are the branches. Turn back to John chapter 15 real quick. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 9. Now remain in my love. And this is how you do it. This is how you remain. This is one of the ways you remain. If you obey my commands. What's his commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's what we're commanded to do. Okay? If you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you. Can you imagine Jesus' joy? That his joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God is for you, not against you. He desires for you to experience the fullness of what it means. It may be painful. There may be some discipline. There may be some trimming. There may be some pruning. There may be some cleaning. But all that process is he's got an end goal. He's got an end game for us in that process of getting to that place. I am the vine. My father is the gardener. My prayer for us is the coming days is this is resurrection week. This is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where Jesus and his disciples were entering into Jerusalem and the palm branches were waving and people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so imagine with me that you're there, right? We're there because we've heard about Jesus. We're, we're enamored with Jesus and his teaching and we're some of his followers. We've been following him from place to place. We've been looking for those miracles. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. And so now here we are on that day and, and we're excited because here he comes in on a donkey and we're like, yes, Jesus is coming in. He's going to become king of kings and we're excited about this. And then guess what? The week goes on and the week doesn't end up kind of turning out how the disciples think it's going to turn out. And then on Friday, what happens? Good Friday, the seven sayings of Jesus, not just the I am, but the seven sayings of, listen, Father, it is finished. It is complete. And so what they thought where Jesus was going to be on Friday or Saturday or Sunday of that next week, that he was going to be sitting on a throne and people were going to be bowing down before him. He's on a cross giving his life and it's completely radical different. But listen, the same people that were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday, on Friday, were saying, crucify him. And if you think that you wouldn't be a part of both of those crowds, it's ludicrous. Because we fall to peer pressure all the time. That's the reason you eat the Cheerios that you eat, because everybody else eats them. So I guarantee you, you would have been there with everybody saying, Hosanna, Hosanna is the King of Kings. And on Friday, you would have been saying, crucify him. So my challenge for us this week is as we go through this week, may you be reminded as you read through Scripture, may you be reminded of the day of what Jesus was going through and put yourself 
in the place of those characters and those actors and saying, God, give me a heart for Jesus this week. And in giving me a heart for Jesus and what he's walking through and what it costs him, may you give me a heart for my neighbor and my coworker and my my fellow students so that I can at least do this, at least invite someone to hear about Jesus on Sunday and what it means to have the resurrection power that raised Jesus that can be evident and present in their own life. So that if they're being bullied, if they're struggling with whatever, they have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in them. Let's pray together. Father God, we these I am statements are incredibly good for us to know and to learn and to try to grasp and to understand. Can we define and describe and to give character qualities and aspects to a God that is undescribable, completely unfathomable? That is beyond time, that is beyond space, that is beyond all of this, and Father, that you have in some way entered in and given life so that we can have peace, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, that you are a gardener that is intimately involved with the details of our life, that you just didn't create and walk away, but that you are concerned about us, that you knit us together in our mother's womb. That's the kind of God you are. All-powerful, but all-loving, even to the details. Fathers, we just continue to sing this morning. May we offer words to you. May we contemplate these words. May we think deep about the truths of these words. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.